uh, by 20, you know, after my second gap year, I had my own consulting business that was, you know, profitable, revenue generating, amazing clients. I'd done a TED talk, done a TEDx talk, had a book out, had a second one on the way, you know, so uh, college just wasn't for me. Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Culture Changers, the podcast that brings you unconventional wisdom by uncommon people. Together, we are shattering old paradigms to reshape our world and inviting you to make your own mark. Do you feel empowered? Do you feel like what you do can actually make a difference? Or do you feel like maybe you wish you could do something big, but how and where do you even start? Do you feel like time is passing by and you're just sitting on the sidelines waiting to figure out what kind of impact can you make to the things that are important to you? What is your gift to the world? One thing I've noticed is that there is a major shift in the culture. Years ago, we would laugh at Leonardo DiCaprio and Al Gore for being so righteous about saving the planet. But now we are seeing our planet get destroyed in real time, as evidenced by all the wildfires and hurricanes and this pandemic. The attitudes have changed where we now feel our own power as an individual. We can make a difference. And millennials have this baked into their DNA, being raised in this culture. So my guest today is Jared Kleinert, and he founded his first company at 15 years old and was asked to consult for Keith Fazari, the author of the best-selling hit book, Never Eat Alone as a Teenager. And today, he is the founder of Meeting of the Minds. He's a TED speaker, two-time award-winning author, and was named USA Today's Most Connected Millennial. Also, he is 25. Something that struck me in our conversation was not only how much unusual success he's achieved at such a young age, but how deeply preoccupied he was with making an impact through the collective, where I guess my assumption was that his focus would be on making as much money as he could. So I couldn't wait to share this conversation with you. And before I do, I want you to go to allisonhair.com and sign up for my blog, Sticky Notes, and follow me on the socials at allison underscore underscore hair. I would love to hear what stood out to you and what you'd love to hear more about. Let's start a conversation. Here is my chat with Jared Kleinert. Jared, welcome to Culture Changers Podcast. I'd love if you could give us a little bit of background and history of your story because it is just astounding. Sure. Thanks for having me, Allison. And uh, you know, I'm 24 as we're recording this, 25 probably by the time everyone hears this. Um, I am from Florida originally. I live in Atlanta, uh, where you live as well. And um, where a lot of the build your life firs are uh, based, <laughs> build your life resumeers. The, the cult is growing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. And so, you know, a lot of one of the questions I get asked a lot is, you know, was this nurture nature? You know, how did you get into business at such a young age? You know, and, and I it's definitely on the shoulders of my, you know, family. Uh, I, I grew up uh, in an entrepreneurial household, had grandparents, cousins, aunts, uncles that were all in business for themselves. My parents didn't uh, succeed with their business ventures when I was very young, um, although I don't really remember it because I was a baby or you know, just super, super young. Um, and so I grew up being exposed to business at a young age, seeing what success in business could look like, uh, but I wasn't necessarily entitled to any family business or any financial ramifications of a family business. Um, I did get a chance to work at a family catering business that my grandmother started uh, that my dad ended up going to work for for the last 20 something years after the restaurants uh, didn't work out. And so uh, I did work at the catering business from like 11 to 16 years old and uh, definitely learned from entrepreneurial parents, you know, people that worked for other people um, about work ethic and uh, what it means to subscribe yourself to someone else's vision in a way. Um, but, you know, I didn't want to sort of wait around for 30, 40 years to potentially <laughs> take over the family catering business after my dad took it over. And who knows how many years. I mean, my, my grandma's almost 80 and still, you know, probably works just as hard as I do <laughs> on mm. the, the catering business. So, uh, yeah, I just grew up with a lot of uh, exposure to a strong work ethic, to entrepreneurship. 
I wasn't entitled to anything. And so that gave me a, a fire to try and build my own uh, business and try to do that at 15. Uh, didn't necessarily succeed with my first couple of startup ideas, but it led me on a path of brainwashing myself with Forbes and Fast Company and books and all that. Uh, it led me to get out of my shell. I was a bit introverted as a kid. And as soon as I turned 16 and got my license and I was driving to a bunch of conferences and pitch events. and Who does it, that at 15 and 16? <laughs> what kind of kid were you in high school? What, what were your friends like? Uh, well, I, I stopped uh, hanging out with a lot of people in high school. I mean, I, I played basketball um, growing up. So probably from four to 16 years old, I played um, basketball, a little bit of football as well. So I was a pretty normal kid in that regards. And that was where my social circle lied. Um, I was on a traditional path school-wise until probably my sophomore year of high school, where I had really good grades, you know, straight A's, was taking the hardest class I could, was trying to get into the best college I could. And then I, I just realized, you know, freshman year of high school, going to sophomore year, like I wasn't going to play basketball in college, you know, just by playing high school ball. Um, I had this business idea that I was increasingly passionate about and was starting to try and make work with whatever little savings and time I had. And uh, yeah, I mean, school just became less and less interesting to me. Um, I took the same sort of passion and time I put towards basketball and applied it to uh, this business. And that opened up a lot of doors for me. I ended up uh, cold emailing uh, a couple people in Silicon Valley when I was 16, who I'd read about in Forbes. Then uh, wow. I started working remotely for these uh, VC-backed startups in Silicon Valley while still in high school. You know, the first business I did didn't work. And so I tried another one on the side. And so, um, yeah, just throughout high school, I spent less and less time on schoolwork, less and less time socializing sort of after hours. And it was just working. Uh, and even to the point where my senior year of high school, I spent uh, all my time on a local college campus uh, doing like dual enrollment, I guess, or whatever the program's called. So I was, I was finishing up my high school credit obligation, was taking college classes, but I made my schedule a, th- a Tuesday through Thursday schedule so that Thursday night through Tuesday morning, I could work and go to conferences if necessary and travel. Um, part of that was because of another community called the the Teal, Foundation, or Teal Fellowship, um, where they were basically telling people to drop out of school if they were super entrepreneurial and uh, what is the teal fellowship i don't i'm not familiar with it yeah so i'll tell me i was a total bonehead in high school i'll make a very (laughs) long story short but um almost 10 years ago um peter teal who was uh one of the first investors in facebook he's a huge name in silicon valley um pretty controversial figure one of the reasons why he's controversial is because he uh created this program called the Teal Fellowship, where he was giving 20 people under 20 years old every year, $100,000 grants to drop out of MIT, drop out of Harvard, Yale, or just not go to school at all to build businesses instead, uh, or to uh, push science innovations forward. And this program uh, got a lot of attention early on, because it was very polarizing. uh, And people were, you know, are still questioning the value of higher education. uh, You know, they were pointing to sort of the dropout stories uh, and also the dropout, you know, uh, lack of success stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what has happened over time is that some of these early Teal fellows have gone on to start multi-billion dollar companies and have, you know, had these crazy innovations. And by all means, you know, it's been a very successful program. Um, and they had a community around that. So while I was never a fellow, I never got a grant uh, when I was 17 um, or 16, 17, they were just starting to publicize this program and going into, I think, their second year of grants. They had a, a community around it where they would run events. And so I joined that community you know, when I was 17 and in their maybe second year of doing it. And I was convinced that college may not be the best option for me. And so... Uh, that also gave me some confidence, I guess, to spend less and less time uh, at school. And I was just spending more time investing in my network and you know, working for these companies out in Silicon Valley and trying to build my own companies on the side. 
actually, you know, my, my first book came out of the Teal Fellowship community and an idea that I got there and connections that came from that. Uh, and, and, you know, <clears throat> that really led to everything else. I ended up uh, taking two gap years from school. Um, so very methodically making a contrarian decision not to go to university. It wasn't just like a fuck it uh, yeah. you know, decision. It was um, very meticulously thought out. But um, by 20, you know, after my second gap year, I had my own consulting business that was, you know, profitable, revenue generating, amazing clients. I'd done a TED talk, done a TEDx talk, had a book out, had a second one on the way. Good you Lord. Know, so uh, college just wasn't for me. Um, but it was all, it was because of all the work I was doing in high school and all the relationships I was building, getting out there, all the work I was doing, you know, the communities I joined, uh, and all that sort of seeded what I'm doing now. I'm curious, do you have a North star? Because I'm thinking about when I was in high school, I just wanted to have friends. (laughs) Like I wasn't like just kind of eke my way through. I've got a dual reason for asking this. So you are a millennial and millennials have big ideas. It's a great place to be. And so when you have a drive at 15, at 16, when, like you said, you kind of took a more contrary approach, what are you, are you looking to make a lot of money? Are you looking to make a big impact? Did you have an idea? Like what was the drive inside? Were you running away from something? Were you running towards something? What was going through your mind that would have you devouring all of these alternative, not alternative, but alternative to a a traditional high school path? What was going through your mind? And is it still the same now? It's probably different and and evolved in a good way. Yeah. Uh, The previous explanation I would have given you uh, in my teens was probably not as healthy as the one I have now, but I was driven by escaping the vicious cycle of normalcy. Uh, I, I saw my parents working incredibly hard, uh, getting, you know, a decent income, but it, it wasn't like they were going to have the freedom to start their own business or uh, create a nonprofit or do something that they're truly passionate about, like in Build Your Life Resume that, you know, you guys are all going after something you're passionate about or think could change the world one day. I saw that as increasingly less possible um, if you get trapped in this vicious cycle of normalcy. So I wanted to do everything possible at, at, at um, early in my life to just have escape velocity and get out of that. Wow. You feel and, like my people, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that uh, when you're in high school and you're at home and your parents are paying the bills, that's an amazing time to go do free work for people you admire uh, or you know chase after some of these passions or start a business. Because the there's a, a less risk than doing it like I am now when I'm like getting married and you know thinking of a family in a few years and have bills I have a home like now I have obligations right and uh, so escaping the vicious cycle of normalcy was definitely the driver early on uh, with the book series uh, it evolved into let's uh, educate the world on you know how top performing millennials tick and that. Uh, you too could start a movement and create a company and go chase after your passions. Like you can escape this vicious cycle for yourself uh, much more easily or in many different ways than you could have in the past. And what I you know, see now, uh, I've sort of evolved into more of a communal view of things. Uh, so my, my mission these days is to, uh, is more of like an existential threat sort of thing. It's like, Uh, I see that there's an exponential number of problems in the world. I see that many of those problems are growing exponentially and could easily take us out as a society. And we're talking about climate change, political unrest, social unrest, racial inequity, uh, not taking uh, precautions with artificial intelligence. There's a million things that could, you know, ruin us all. Um, And I think the only way we solve these problems is by establishing as many meetings of the minds as possible where you get um, a diverse group of people together to solve a problem and then scale the solution. And because there's so many problems, we have to catalyze a lot of meeting of the minds. Uh, and so that's what I'm working on now. You know, my, my company's called meeting of the minds and we're doing that at a much smaller scale for small business owners and helping them solve pressing problems 
in their way when it comes to their marketing strategy or sales or you know time management, business operations, whatever's stopping them from scaling. We're trying to remove that and we're helping them capitalize on the opportunities. Um, but that's really my playground. It's my playground to try and figure out what's a, an open sourced uh, problem solving and solution scaling theory that I can maybe write my next book on and share with the world so that whenever I meet a corporate executive, I can give it to them and they can run their board more effectively, or I can give it to the nonprofit director, or I can give it to the community organizer and they can, you know, get their tribe to work together more effectively because we typically suck at, you know, leveraging the true power of our communities and uh, the people around us. And so that's what's driving me. That'll be a 30 plus year vision. There's definitely a lot of capitalistic potential there. You know, I could start companies with some of the millennials I've profiled in my books or the people that are joining our meeting in the minds community and have all these spinoff businesses to solve problems. And I'm, I'm, I believe that if you solve problems for enough people, you can be compensated for that. Um, I think there's nonprofit components to that as well. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a lot that that's wide enough of a theory, uh, to, uh, entertain all my passions, whether it's sports or philanthropy or business or architecture and construction, you know, real estate, anything that comes to mind, I could put into that, you know, vector. Which I'm going to cool. pick my job off the floor because <laughs> it's pretty astounding what you've put together. It's funny because everything that I have in my mind of like, uh, when you think of culture changers of how can I make an impact? And you have you have done it like you've you've created a structure to be able to do that already. And I think well, when- I'm doing it. I think that's the important yeah. thing is that it's it's very much a long term process. And I'm at the and very collaborative of that. You know, so I I definitely am not where I want to be in three years, let alone ten or thirty or fifty years. But uh, I'm aware of a long term sort of moonshot, and I'm actively working towards it. But I think it's definitely like a um, it's a it's a long term game for me. And I'm still working on some of those foundational habits around my health, around, uh, you know, my work, around building those relationships long term. It's all the stuff that I know you teach and in, in build your life resume and or that the community um, values. That's the foundational work for yourself and also for you know a community. You know, some of these ideas around wellness, around collaboration, around um, even just the problems that you mentioned, the political unrest, the social unrest, the 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 racial inequities that have been kind of under covers for a long time. You know, people would laugh at Gwyneth Paltrow for doing yoga or Leonardo DiCaprio for recycling. People would make fun of him. And now it's become really mainstream. And I wonder if because it's become more mainstream to solve interesting problems, to be maybe other, other minded versus, you know, I'm, th- I'm going to hang on to this and make as much money as possible. Um, and just, you know, safety. I wonder if you have noticed more of a momentum of people that get it because they're seeing, they're seeing the climate change in real time. It's affecting people because we have hurricanes and tornadoes that are ripping, you know, and wildfires that are burning people's homes to the ground or, you know, washing them ashore. And, and we're seeing it now in real time versus some existential, you know, um, uh, thing that could happen. What have you seen in terms of momentum? Yeah, I would agree with you. And and what I had found in sort of studying and connecting with some of the top performing millennials that were featured in my in my books, uh, two billion under twenty, three billion under thirty, and there was you know, there's about two billion people in the world at or under twenty years old. There's about three billion people in the world at or under thirty. Hence the names. No, I'm not a billionaire before thirty. That's <laughs> um, what I was wondering. <laughs> uh, but my next I, question was about your bank account. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. But I I. Uh, you know, noticed even like five or six years ago that uh, the millennial generation is one of the first or probably the first generation with global connectivity, unlike ever before. So, you know, not that there wasn't people like Malala um, in the past, but there wasn't people like Malala that had Twitter and mm. had you know, access to uh, the entire world and could convince other adults and other like-minded youth to get behind their mission. You know, that's 
on the table now. Like we Greta Thunberg have, too. Greta dropped out of high yeah, school to do this. Greta's yeah. another amazing example. Um, so we didn't have that until very recently. Um, individuals today have more power than governments, corporations, and the uber wealthy had, um, you know, 25 or 50 years ago, uh, in part because of that global connectivity, but also because of other technology uh, and, you know, the ability to start a business or just like the smartphone in your pocket is more powerful than the uh, uh, vehicles they put, you know, humans on the moon with, which is crazy. Uh, and so, you know, we have that going for us. And you have the uh, unfortunate or maybe fortunate crumbling of institutions around us. And so, you know, there's crumbling with our political institution and questioning around that. There's questions about the value of higher education. And, you know, I'm not here to say, let, let's burn it to the ground. But you know, if we're questioning these things, uh, then other voices are able to come up and be heard. And hopefully those uh, institutions will be improved upon and uh, better for future generations. And so I think for millennials and for anyone, really, it's not just a millennial thing. You know, I, I was using the my books and past research to highlight that we can learn from these top performing millennials so that whether you're 16 or 60, you can, you know, uh, achieve exponential success in record time. And wh- whether that's financial success or charitable success um, or, or organizational success, uh, we all have access to this opportunity. And it's a unique time in history. Um, where I think we're also now you know, looking at the next 50 years where we could actually like wipe out humans. And maybe that wasn't uh, on the table in the past, but now it's, it's, inevitable unless we solve problems in my view. And uh, so there's, there's also that sort of call to action that's undeniable for some people. So through this meeting of the minds, what have you, you, you have access or have, have put together a collaborative of, of people, like you said, that are um, a diverse group of people that are solving interesting problems. What have you learned from, from this collaborative, from this collective that has blown you away? What do you, what have you learned from this? What do you, what do you know that you wish other people could know? Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm learning every day, but uh, I think just having a very diverse network is a great thing for a lot of reasons. You know, it's, it's your education source, it's your uh, opportunity source, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I wish people had the confidence to create their own communities more often. Uh, I, I wish people had some uh, heightened social skills to be able to welcome diverse voices to the table and uh, facilitate uh, meaningful conversations and connections with those diverse voices, because that's obviously an issue that we have in many facets of society right now. There's quite a lot of uh, filter bubbling happening or people staying in their own silos. But you know, we've made a very strategic decision, you know, granted with with entrepreneurs and small business owners, um, but to pull people from you know, finance and architecture and design and you know, all different backgrounds of business. And they all have you know, slightly different problems uh, that we need to solve. Some of them are, are common, but you know, someone might have a marketing challenge, someone may have a fundraising challenge, someone may have a operations challenge or a branding challenge. And so uh, I, I wish more people would uh, diversify their communities uh, and or start their own communities. Uh, and then hmm. be increasingly mindful about how they're facilitating those connections because really incredible things can happen. And you don't need to have a, a true, a, a long-term established community to affect change. Um, I'm also trying to not put long, not put uh, a ton of pressure on myself these days. Like in the past, I would beat myself up. I would uh, wonder why I'm not farther along in my journey, but you know, I am affecting change right now. I've, I've had people meet their significant others through my events and through my connections. I've had people meet business partners. I've had people meet a consultant at the right time to like help them with their Facebook ad strategy. Uh, and then someone else met a client, you know, so there's so many amazing connections going on. I, I've posted stuff on Facebook 
I don't even have a big following or audience, but a friend saw it and, you know, lost 20 pounds. And, uh, you know, there's stuff like that going on. You don't necessarily know who's following you at any given time because most people are not going to like raise their hand and say, oh, I read your post. They're just going to read it and go on with their lives with whatever information you give them. So yeah, I I would, I wouldn't wait to get started. Um, You don't have, you could start with a dinner series um, when we're able to go back to, you know, in-person dinners you could start with a virtual networking series or a small online community. Um, I do community for a living with my business, uh, and that's really fun. You know, so I'm, I'm aligning my financial incentives with my mission incentives, which I don't think enough people do. You know, they they don't necessarily align what they do for a living with what they want to do. Explain uh, that to me. If. Uh, well, if I want to establish as many meetings of the minds in the world, it makes sense to uh, write books in such a way where I'm pulling in hundreds of contributors, or it makes sense to run a community where every time I enroll another amazing community member, I'm being compensated financially for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even you know, some of the philanthropic work I do, um, there's a an, there's something I've wanted to actually do more of, which is called uh, Volunteer with Entrepreneurs. But that would be a side project to get the same sort of people that would attend meeting in the minds to go volunteer together. Uh, And even that's aligned with my business and has some benefit in advancing my mission every time I get someone to help volunteer with us. Uh, But that's a great example where like I volunteer with entrepreneurs is nowhere close to where I want it to be. Like I want to have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs one day sort of volunteering on this email newsletter. But it, I have done something with it and I, we have helped, you know, half a dozen organizations. We've raised tens of thousands of dollars and put a lot of volunteer hours. So we are affecting change, you know, even if it's not my grand vision of what it ends up being. And, you know, same is true with my business and, you know, other communities we've built. So yeah, I would, I wouldn't wait to get started. Um, you know, do it now and uh, start, wherever you can, you know, build on that. You know, it's, we have a long, a long way ahead of us. One thing I've found that is ringing. So this is, this is blowing my mind a little bit because when I was 25, again, I was such an idiot. Like none of this was even on any kind of uh, uh, spectrum for me. And to have somebody like you who is so passionate about affecting change and humble you know, I mean, Larry King interviewed you, you know what I mean? And uh, it's it's just blowing my mind that you're, you know, you definitely have a hunger um, okay, that I'm that, noticing. That's something that community can do for you as well. Like part of why I'm more humble than I was when I was a teenager is because I'm connected to more uh, influential people and individuals that are uh, much more successful than I am. And so, you know, that fuels my hunger, but also at the same time, I realize I got a lot of work to do in order to, yeah. you know, hit my goals. And so I think there's a healthy uh, aspect to community there where, you know, it also pushes you to be better because if you aren't better then you might get kicked out of that tribe, <laughs> right? If you're around people that value wellness and then you gain 50 pounds, like it's unfortunate, but human nature is like, you'll get kicked out of the tribe. Right. And so, you can use that in your favor and surround yourself with people that are ambitious and people that value their health and people that are contrarian in their thinking and uh, value diversity and uh, are constantly improving their businesses and running, you know, nice, loving families. And unless you do some of those same things, you're they're going to kick you out and then you're going to feel really bad about yourself. Yeah. So we <laughs> talk a lot about community. And you're known as a, a super connector. What is a super connector? What does that even mean? I think someone uh, who's a super connector is uh, a high integrity individual who's well regarded by other members of their community, be it a, a geographic community like Atlanta or an industry, and makes it a point to connect other people and other communities. Uh, so I'm aware that one of the most valuable things I can do for you or for someone else is make an introduction or in, invite you to meeting in the minds uh, or any sort of curation that I'm putting on. Uh, and so it's, it's my identity. It's how I offer value. And I'm uh, 
seen for that. So that's probably what I would describe as a super connector. And there's other people that I go to when I'm looking for access to other industries or you know, other uh, subject matter experts and they're well-regarded in their fields. And so I would consider them super connectors in, in their own way. I find that people are looking for community. They're looking for somewhere to belong. I think um, even through COVID, people are starting new podcasts or starting new communities or trying to find some type of purpose in something that feels so out of control and something we can control. Have you noticed that to be true? What have you noticed through um, the pandemic? What kind of trends have you seen? Yeah, I I think there's that. I, I also would encourage people to lean more on their pre-existing network and pre-existing relationships because now is a time where we're all going through this unique shared experience of a global pandemic. And the uh, individuals that you reconnect with now, family, friends, uh, potential clients, there's, there's an openness for most people that isn't normally there. Uh, and it's also the best time to help people that are struggling, uh, help your business owning buddies, you know, get through this, find new opportunities because they're going to remember who was there for them and who wasn't and uh, who was available to vent to and who wasn't. Uh, and so I think it's a great opportunity to strengthen pre-existing relationships. I think it's a great opportunity to create new communities or communication channels, as you're saying, I would recommend sticking with it for the next three, four, five, 10 years, because there's going to be a lot of people that started a podcast and those podcasts aren't going to be around in six months. Mm. Or there could be people that started a book and those books will never see the light of day. Uh, or they're going to start building a Facebook group and then that Facebook group is going to fall apart. So, you know, let this be the launching pad that 10 years from now or in the next crisis, um, you know, you've established that community and then it can help even more people. Like I, I wish Meeting of the Minds was more advanced right now and we could actually solve some of these pressing problems in society. Like if my my goal in the next, you know, three, five years or, or one of my goals is to create a book around the Meeting of the Minds theory, uh, which I haven't yet fully developed, but could you imagine if that book existed and it was actually a, a high quality and actual book and I could give it to you know, all these other um, community leaders. Like that would be, this is the exact moment when we all need a meeting in the minds uh, problem solving framework. And so I wish I was farther along, but the next best option is to keep doing what I'm doing and build that framework so that in 10 years it's available during the next economic downturn or the next whatever. You have a lot of urgency. I can tell. And you know, I have, when, to, I have to balance this urgency <laughs> and patience and the temperance. I know. Yeah, it, it, that's that's challenging <laughs> for sure. One thing I've noticed, um, just through my my exposure to your work and and your story, is and even the way that um, the way that you show up, you use you use the terms intentional, and you use the terms integrity, high integrity, a lot. And I think it's very easy to look at um, somebody like you and stereotype as being a white male born in the U.S. and had success early and um, and and notoriety that <clears throat> you've been handed everything on a on with a silver spoon on a platter. And you had made some you had some really big, hard lessons early on with the wrong mentorship. And I'd be interested to hear more about that because I think, you know, there's been a common thread in our conversation today about surrounding yourself with people who care, you know, like you've, you had kind of not abandoned, but you had stopped hanging out with people that weren't maybe on the same mission or the same wavelength of, of trying to do entrepreneurial or uh, entrepreneurial big things. And I'd be curious to understand your experience around, mentors and the people you surround yourself and, and the power of connection. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, born a white dude in the U S that's <laughs> privilege. Uh, being born to an entrepreneurial family is privilege. Uh, even with my, you know, white fiance, um, 
I could see privilege in, in her rise, but it's, it's also much harder for her to have become a successful entrepreneur in her own right. Um, and in a male dominated industry, she's in the, the film industry. Um, and so, you know, yes, it, it's, uh, it was easier for me foundationally. Um, I can't control that. You know, I can only uh, attempt to be an advocate for those who are disenfranchised and attempt to even the playing field uh, and use my privilege. Uh, and so, you know, today with Meeting of the Minds, I think we've done a really good job on the um, male-female ratio. Uh, you know, we're about, we're about 50% men and women at any given online summit or in-person, you know, summit, which is awesome. Uh, and I'm very, you know, particular about gender balance with our speakers. Um, we're very much an attendee driven community, but we do occasionally have guest speakers. And I, I am increasingly aware uh, that we need to do better on the, on the racial front as well. And we have had uh, people from all different uh, races, sexual orientations, uh, et cetera, at meeting in the minds, but it hasn't necessarily been as uh, balanced uh, percentage wise. So we still have more work to do. Uh, and I think that's, the right way to approach this conversation is, you know, see how you can do better if you haven't been amazing in the past um, and allow it to be constructive. As far as uh, the challenges or obstacles I did face, you know, I, I did have a mentor uh, for the first six months of my first business uh, where I only found out sort of into this relationship, you know, half a year that, I was spending time with someone who had spent time in prison for securities fraud on wall street. And, uh, you know, <laughs> great. That was fun. That was an interesting conversation. Uh, after having that conversation, uh, I looked back at our relationship and I saw, you know, moments where this mentor was lacking in integrity. Uh, and then I also, uh, picked up something else, which is that there was, uh, low subject matter expertise that I was receiving from this person. So I was trying to build an ed tech company, you know, education technology startup world. Um, and this guy didn't know anything about education. He didn't know anything about technology. He didn't know anything about startups. And what did you like about this guy? How did you I, I didn't really know him? any better. You know, it was yeah. someone that, uh, it was someone that had j- business experience, you know, yeah. who was investing time and energy uh, and I do believe he was coming from a good place. Um, you know, so there, there were things that looked good, but you know, also, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. And so the, the big sort of lesson I took from this is I, if I want to be successful in business, I need to surround myself with high integrity individuals, first and foremost, who are also world-class at what they do and can educate me and can point me in the right direction when I don't know something. And so that's when I, uh, a few months later, I reached out to someone I read about in Forbes, who was called the most connected man you don't know in Silicon Valley. And this person was a total 180, you know, someone that, uh, as I read about him, seemed like a very high integrity individual, was very knowledgeable about the world of startups and about his craft um, and community building. I, can't, I realized that to be true when I spent time with him uh, and ended up working for him. And those are the type of relationships I've sought to build uh, as mentorships for me, as uh, peer mentors you know, or, or part of my community. Because um, I also think mentorship comes in at, at least three different forms. So there's the traditional mentor type, you know, someone who's more experienced, typically older in your field, you know, 10 steps ahead of you and can make the path uh, easier for you. Um, it's also peer mentors, you know, people that are uh, two, two or three steps ahead of you or two or three steps behind you, but because they're going through the good fight right now and they're uh, doing it, you know, they're, they're more accessible to have those conversations with on a more daily basis for a mentor, which might be a monthly or quarterly thing. Um, and they're going through it now, whereas your mentor may have done it five years ago, 10 years ago, different lifetime ago. So circumstances may have changed and you could use your peer mentor to have those sort of more tactical, ongoing dialogues. And then I also think there's a virtual mentorship where you can go read someone's book or listen to their podcast and 
probably get 99% of the value that you would get if you had a conversation with them in person. Tim Ferriss has five number one New York Times bestselling books and however many hundreds of podcasts. So you can learn you know, most of what he would tell you in person if you absorb that information. Uh, someone doesn't even have to meet you. They could listen to your podcast and probably learn a world of information. And so uh, I, I do think of mentorship in multiple facets now. Uh, and yeah, without that negative mentor experience, I wouldn't be so adamant about surrounding myself with high integrity individuals and people that have a diversity of uh, expertise that I can tap into or, or learn from. I think, um, I think, especially from a cultural perspective, it makes a huge, huge impact. And one thing I've noticed too, that you, you have been really, um, you have published tools to help people reach out and expand their networks. So whether it is cold emails and templates for those. And one thing I'd be interested to learn about, it takes a lot of confidence. So I'm, I'm a sales professional. So for me, it's no big deal. I, I can do cold emails all the time, but I do know that for the ma- good majority of people, they may not have the confidence to be able to just send a cold email out to their mentor. Maybe they put them on a pedestal. Maybe they make up a narrative or story that, that they're too small and um, to be answered to. What are your thoughts around that? What would be your guidance for that? I've definitely struggled with that myself in the past and occasionally do now um, for like the, you know, the people that I uh, most value my network. Sometimes I don't connect with them as, as often as I should um, because I want to make sure I'm, you know, offering value as much as possible when I'm communicating with them. But uh, that ends up working against you because then you don't have the uh, opportunities to invest in that relationship and deepen the the connection. Um but I'm not an expert on confidence building. And so what I would say is uh, it gets easier over time. And so uh, just like when I was younger, I was introverted. And then uh, once I was able to drive around, I started going to conferences and sort of learning how to talk to people, forcing myself to walk up to a speaker and talk to them or pitching my ideas. Uh, you know, those things will break you out of your shell. Uh, and if that's um, a hard uh, road to go down, then maybe don't think about a cold email, for example, as a confidence challenge. Maybe think about it as a risk reward ratio as well. And so there's almost no downside to sending a cold email. Like the worst thing that's going to happen is either someone doesn't respond or they're going to respond and say, stop emailing me, <laughs> you know, leave me alone. But that's about it. The best is you're going to get a new job opportunity a new partnership, a new mentor, so many, you know, uh, opportunities could come from a cold email. Uh, and I, I joke with friends, like there's a whole cold email club of you, you, there's like <laughs> endless successful people that have started their careers or started businesses on a cold email. Even like Airbnb was started on a cold email. And Tim Ferriss too. Tim yeah. Ferriss too. He's got a, a lot big, of, uh, lot of initiative success stories based on cold emails. So the risk reward is in your favor to send uh, thoughtful cold emails. I think what I'm hearing too is, is just a bias towards action is that everything that you do is pretty action based. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, there's that risk reward, um, outlook on, uh, other decisions as well. So with university, you know, the, the risk is that I don't, you know, what's the absolute worst that's going to happen if I don't go to university right away? Like I'll live under a bridge, you know, like thankfully I have family friends that would like never let me starve. Um, and the more realistic, uh, downside is that maybe I would go back to school and I might be a year or two years or three years behind some peers. The upside is I take the, you know, two years that I took gap years and then, you know, the four, three, four years, you would be an undergrad and you can start a business in four years. You can build your own community. You know, there, there's so many things you can do with that time and our, the world's moving faster than it is a generation ago. So, you know, when, when you were 25 or so when I was 25, like the world's going so much quicker right now and the mm-hmm. information's moving around so much uh, more freely that, you know, I have kids I went to high school with that are getting out at 22 from their undergrad with debt and uh, now might be going to grad school or may first be entering the job market. And I've already built, you know, two companies and I've had two books and done Ted talks and, you know, found five different ways to make money. Uh, and maybe that's not the 
normal story, but you know, a, a likely story might be you might be two or three years into a great company and could you know get a new job, or you can go jump from job to job, or you can always go back to school with all this new experience, maturity. So you know, and perhaps even the most meta idea of it all is that uh, by not going to school, like I wasn't uh, programmed to think like everyone that went to university. Mm. Like I've reserved my mindset to be a little more raw, um, but it's forced me to learn how to learn. It's forced me to learn how to connect with people instead of relying on a geographic proximity of a university. I've had to go travel and attend events and keep relationships intact. I've traveled, I've had to, you know, do all, do all the things that university would provide if you were arguing against my point. And I'm personally better for it. I know a lot of other people that are, and I'm, you know, I think we're seeing a, a shift away from uh, higher education being the only path. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, it's funny because I think about my son, I have a son who's seven and, you know, sometimes he'll complain about going to school and, my husband and I have told him that, you know, we, you are going to be going to college unless there's one way you can drop out of school. And that is if you start a successful company that you can figure yeah. out how to make it sustainable. It's, and then it's, fine, it's you can easier drop to out. argue against your parents when you're financially independent. <laughs> I know exactly right. <laughs> Other than that, they're kind of on the, the straight and narrow, but who knows, you know, I've, I've, um, I struggle a lot with, um, the education system in general about, you know, a more Socratic method of just challenging. Um, and who knows, like in the next 10 years, like those institutions may reinvent themselves and perhaps university will be a great place to go again. Who knows? I'm that's, that's the goal. Uh, but that's just not what I'm seeing right now. And it's not what I saw when I was making those decisions. Yeah, I think now with COVID, I mean, they, all, all of these institutions really need to reinvent themselves and do it quickly. And I'm wondering, as we wrap up today in our conversation, based on what you see from a millennial perspective, and this could be a completely nebulous question that could fall completely flat, but if a millennial or somebody could do one thing differently that can make a huge impact based on what you see, what would that be? I would invite them to find out what they're truly passionate about and prob- like find a problem they can solve related to their passion. So I, I'm again, I'm workshopping this whole meeting in the minds theory for over the next few years, but I think a core component of it is finding more people like Elon Musk who mm-hmm. uh, are able to be the gravity to solve a problem. So, you know, with the what a internet these days, and with, what you know, a with, great phrase, be the gravity well, to solve a problem. Yeah. I mean, if you think about how like the world works, literally, you know, you have planets and, you know, like the heavier planets have more gravity. And so like we're in the sun's rotation as opposed to like being thrown into the middle of the galaxy because of the gravitational pull of the sun. And then, we have enough gravity that we keep the moon orbiting around us while we're orbiting around the sun. So to solve a pressing problem in society, like you need to have enough gravity where you can get a diverse group of subject matter experts uh, to come be in your orbit and solve that problem as opposed to like hanging out with you for six months and then like leaving to go solve another problem or, you know, going away. And so someone like Elon has, you know, obviously, he's the mogul example, but he's had the capital, he's had the passion and the longevity to take on, uh, you know, climate change uh, through solving the problem of uh, electric vehicles not being uh, abundant or popular um, or through like, you know, intergalactic travel not being possible because we don't have reusable rockets. Uh, You know, he's had enough gravity where he's gotten thousands of really smart people to work with him. He's gotten billions of dollars to be deployed there he's been able to bring in celebrities and government and you know scientists and all these people to solve those problems and so to whatever extent you can do that now you know i think if you scream loud enough about a certain problem and can stick with it long enough to draw people in to work with you we need more uh people like that and i you know i'm not necessarily that 
person because I don't, you know, I, I want to catalyze as many meetings of the minds as possible. But I need to find, you know, hundreds of people that are the gravity for their problems and their communities and then help send resources their way for that problem. And, you know, once that problem solved, move people to another problem. You're a great curator, it seems. And that's beautifully put. I think um, I, I love the the um, example of Elon Musk, too. But yeah, also, I think the sun, you know, have gravity. Yeah, but I also problem. think that um, in in historical context that I, we had more of a hierarchical structure. And now I think it is um, I think we've figured out that the individual can make a huge impact and your voice matters. Absolutely. And I'd love to know how people can find you and maybe a little more about meeting of the minds. Um, who are the people that would join Meeting in the Minds, and what does that look like? Yeah, so if you're an entrepreneur listening to this and you run a revenue-generating, profitable, bootstrapped business, um, we're like the Y Combinator for people running uh, companies without outside investors. Mm. And so I would invite you to check out MOTM.co. You can learn all about our upcoming uh, deep dives, which are monthly two-day experiences that we have virtually. Uh, and then whenever it's safe to resume our quarterly summits, you know, we do three-day summits in Bermuda, Napa Valley, Atlanta, New York, uh, once every three months. Uh, and so MOTM.co has that information. Um, you can go to MOTM.substack.com. I have a, an email newsletter that's available to the public and has cold email templates, as you were saying, and a bunch of other resources. I'm, I'm writing uh, twice a week for... Uh, the public. And then I have a third email a week right now that goes out to a premium uh, subscriber base. And so, yeah, you check out MOTM.co, MOTM.substack.com. And then you can email me, uh, Jared Kleiner at gmail.com anytime. And I'll link everything in the show notes. This was great, Jared. Thank you so much for your time and for your energy and for your heart and for your mission. It is making an impact. And I'm honored to talk to you today and have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Allison. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. As you can probably tell, I was in awe of the way Jared Kleiner's brain operated. I was so encouraged to see someone so young, so driven to truly make an impact and can't wait to see what he and his collective cohorts not only do next, but inspire for everyone they meet and people who hear this podcast. I've linked his info in the show notes. And as for me, I'm so grateful to have your ears for a little while. Please tell me what it hit home for you during this conversation. And maybe tell me something about you on the socials. As always, you can sign up for my blog at allisonhair.com, where I share quick and useful insights, guidance, and personal stories to help connect with you and make an impact. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.